0: Donald Trump has either alarmed or excited everyone in the engineering community. Some of the debates are based around innovation. Opponents to Trump say that his anti-immigration policies might reduce the innovation that relies on immigrants who are, for example, on H-1B visas. Supporters of Trump say that his anti-regulation policies might unlock innovation that is currently restricted by bureaucracy. Other debates are based around philosophy and free speech. Opponents to Trump say that his views on women are retrograde and that he promotes racism and white nationalism. Supporters of Trump say that he is brave enough to say what people are really thinking and that he is truly independent from the polarized, ossified political system. Software Engineering Daily is a show about the world through the lens of the software engineer, and today our world is being shaped by Donald Trump. We needed to do an episode on this subject because so many of my day-to-day conversations over lunch or over coffee with other engineers were becoming conversations about Trump, and the conversations were fluidly going between Trump and engineering, so it was a sign that this might make a good topic for an episode. Brad Taylor is a senior engineer with Optimizely who has formed Tech Stands Up a grassroots movement giving a voice to the rapidly growing concerns about the Trump administration's policies, which are affecting the tech community and the tech community's users. We had a stimulating conversation about the trade-offs of a Trump administration from an engineer's perspective. I did my best to give a bipartisan perspective in any case, don't worry, this is not becoming a show about politics, you don't need to worry about that, we'll be back to in, you know, deeply technical engineering topics uh, shortly, um, and if you don't like this episode, please just turn it off and uh, check out a different episode, there's plenty of stuff about AI or JavaScript or whatever you're in the mood for. But with that, let's get to this episode with Brad Taylor. Brad Taylor is a senior engineer with Optimizely. Brad, welcome to Software Engineering Daily.
1: Uh, Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: This show is not usually political. It's about software engineering and things that affect software engineers. How is the Trump presidency affecting what it means to be a software engineer in America?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So, um... I think that the Trump presidency is kind of, uh, in, in the things that have happened over the last three weeks, has really um, showcased um, the the amount of uh, things that could happen in the ne- in, in the next four years, and and one of the things that I was trying to do with uh, Tech stands up uh, to Trump was showcase that our engineers uh, have a lot of power. We're extremely lucky to be in a community and in an industry where our talents are in high demand. So, you saw this with uh, the delete Uber uh, trending hashtag, where consumers were voting with their uh, with their dollars. Well, if we're able to vote with our dollars as engineers who are in high demand. We also are able to vote with who we want to go work for. Uh, so, for instance, I had a lot of, you know, friends that worked at different companies who were unhappy with the way that their their CEOs or executives were either sticking up for Trump in some uh, instances, or just uh, even worse, not saying anything, especially when he was enacting policies that directly affect our friends and family in our community.
0: You mentioned the tech leadership. Response to Trump's presidency. What have been some of the notable leadership responses?
1: Yeah. Uh, so when I created the event uh, last uh, on Friday the twenty seventh, pretty much none of our tech leaders had had stood up and said anything. Uh, since then, of course, after the immigration executive order and then subsequent overturning, you know, you saw I think one hundred and seventeen different. Uh, companies uh, come out uh, and sign on to a uh, to a court order uh, or to a to a suit uh, that was filed Um, and you know that that's probably one of the strongest uh, responses you can you can you can have Uh, you've also seen notable uh, people like uh, you know Mark Zuckerberg came out against it. Uh, you also saw, um, you know, a lot of. I think Sam Altman had a great uh, blog post about how tech needs to really take. Uh, the leadership role here and, and, and stand up. <laughs> so uh, you're starting to see a lot of movement in this area. Uh, you've also seen uh, the Mark Pincus and uh, Reid Hoffman. They're starting uh, an organization to focus more on how do we swing some of the uh, you know, the, the different districts uh, in the upcoming 2018 election. So uh, more more than than I've seen in the past, I see our industry starting to st- stand up and, and, and take a leadership role here.
0: There is a few different angles that we've seen the leadership taken. There's the angle of, you know, you say, oh, it's politics this is separate from business I'm gonna divorce my views from how I run my engineering organization there is the approach of you don't talk much about it but perhaps behind the scenes you work on legislation uh, or you you know you have you sort of take it to the courts uh, this seems to have been the uh, maybe the Bezos response because I think he you know since Trump got elected he's been more docile in his uh, speaking out against trump, but he after the immigration ban he wrote, We are against this immigration ban and emailed it to um his employees and he you know took the lead of um this this legal action against the immigration ban um and then there's the most outspoken uh, extreme, which is like Sergey Brin and um, and Sundar Pichai, who essentially promoted Google employees walking out of work. All like there was something like two thousand or six thousand Google employees who just walked out of work in protest. And and Sergey Brin was, you know, he had some very encouraging words and uh, inspiring words, frankly, for for anybody who was. Opposed to that immigration ban, why is there such a range of responses?
1: Yeah, I, I think that the the number one reason is is financial. Uh, for instance, Amazon has a lot of. Uh, money overseas. So does Apple. So do a lot of these tech companies. Uh, I think that they feel that you know, cozying up to the Trump administration will help them to repatriate that uh, those assets uh, at a lower tax rate uh, than you know maybe the previous administration would have. Uh, they're definitely in a in a position. Uh, you know, it's not just there wealth that is at stake it is also their shareholders they do have a fiduciary responsibility Uh, and in that part i um I can understand their reluctance, but at the same time, what good is all of that money if we don't stick up for the values that we care about? Uh, if you've ever been an engineer or uh, at a tech company, or you know, even been in Silicon Valley, and which I think a lot of your listeners uh, probably work at a tech company that you know talks about how we want to change the world. You know, it's even a running joke on on Silicon Valley that we want to change the world, and and. If we don't stick up for those values now, uh, then you know what what's kind of the point. Um, so, what we're urging, and 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 what I want to see the engineers, and designers, and product managers, and the people that actually make these items, uh, give strength to our leaders to say it's okay to stand up. We actually want you to stand up, and if you don't stand up for the values that you you say that we care about, then you know we haven't we have a choice of where we want to work. We're lucky enough to have that choice, and I I would hope that um, that that you know as as an engineer as a developer that you wouldn't help uh, you know create these products that um, could end up being used against our families and communities like. Um, you know, the, the registry for Muslim ban and things like that. So really it's just about urging our tech leaders to stand up for what they um, believe or what they say they believe
0: in. The repatriation of funds has often been cited as the main source of leverage that Trump has to entice the tech leaders to be on his side or to at least work with him. And it's a bargaining chip, but as you and i know the economy grows much more due to technological and engineering breakthroughs than financial manipulation and like that stuff is not does not lead to long-term growth innovation breakthroughs lead to long-term growth and my sense is that engineering productivity is threatened by trump how has engineering productivity changed since Trump was inaugurated?
1: Yeah, I think the uh, one of the one of the nice things about engineering and productivity is is the fact that uh, so much of it is open source. Uh, you know, the, one of the things that I truly believe in is kind of the open source way. You know, open exchange of ideas, the the participation in your community, um, you know, meritocracy where all the best ideas rise to the top. Uh, what I kind of see in this, you know, for instance, the immigration ban, um, we're we're now pro, um, preventing people that may uh, come in and, and and help build these innovative products, um, you know, for instance. You know, Steve Jobs was a son of a Syrian uh, Syrian Muslim. Uh, Sergey Brin was a immigrant from Russia. So had we had these in place, we may not have gotten our, our Google or our Apple. So um, how things have changed right now is, I think, yet to be seen. I think you're starting to see a lot more motivation about social responsibility in what we do. It's not just about creating the next social network or creating the next, um, you know, uh, you know, application that, you know, lets you take pictures of your food. It's about what can we do to uh, utilize our unique skill sets and, and start to um, do things that actually make a difference in in, in self-governance and uh, for nonprofits in our community.
0: You're talking about a large scope influence that Trump's policies have had on engineering, I think, Particularly the the threat to immigrants who you know wouldn't have been able to build the iPhone without immigrants, uh, not even not just Steve Jobs. I'm sure there were, there were countless engineers who just just you know boots on the ground engineers. I think a more subtle pernicious effect of this Trump presidency is this pervasive anxiety that people have, and the fact that you know it used to be I wake up and I go to. You know, I go through Facebook and I go through Hacker News and I go through Twitter. And now it's just like there's even more stuff I have to go through because, you know, this guy creates more problems than he solves, at least today. And and this leads to just this pervasive anxiety. And I know as an engineer, when when I was working full time as an engineer, you already have enough mental battles to work through. You know, you've got your day-to-day like, just your life battles, you've got your the mental battles of, like, maybe you're working on some really boring stuff that nevertheless needs to get done. Maybe you're, you're fixing a production bug that is extremely time-sensitive because it's affecting users. In any case, you need to focus. And when you have this president that is stirring up conflict... It degrades focus, and I think it has this really pernicious, perhaps compounding effect on uh, on the on the tech productivity.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have friends that uh, are here legally on H one B visas from uh, countries that were in those bands and or you know ones that were not. Uh, that are Muslim, that weren't part of that band, they're even scared. They're scared to go on vacation even. Like, if I leave this country, am I going to be able to get back here? And and that I, I can't imagine, I mean, I'm from Indianapolis in the Midwest, and I can't imagine, uh, you know, thinking about, wow, what if my family couldn't come and visit me? Or what if I wanted to go home and see my family? And uh, there's a chance that I could not be let back into the country and 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 be a part of this industry and this community that has has done so much for me so I couldn't I couldn't even fathom that and and I can't even think of what my friends and colleagues are going through um and and how that is affecting their productivity Uh, because I know it would be I mean it's already in the back of my mind uh, and I don't have to worry about those things Um, I can't even imagine what uh, they must be going through
0: you started an organization called tech stands up I think that's the current name of it and you've gone through some name iterations Yeah, this was started shortly after Trump was inaugurated what are the goals of your organization
1: yeah. So, um, really, the goals of the organization. So, when when we created, uh, a, as you mentioned, it's kind of gone through some name changes. Uh, it really started with uh, me feeling uh, helpless uh, for for my friends. I feel very lucky where I work uh, that um, you know at Optimizely are. Our roots are based in, uh, you know, our CEO leaving and going and uh, working for the Obama administration as their lead data um, and analytics. But I had lots of friends that were really frustrated that worked at, um, you know, Uber and, and some of these other companies. And I saw an article that, you know, Travis from Uber was having a hard time uh, standing up to, to Trump or, or he couldn't have a voice at the table. And I thought, you know what? We are the tech industry. We are a very powerful industry, and and we're the engineers, and we're the people that make this stuff. Let's, you know, have a walkout on March fourteenth, uh, and and let our leaders know that they should be standing up for for the policies that, or standing up against the policies that hurt our community. And uh, it's kind of grown since then. Uh, we've had over about three hundred forty people reach out and volunteer of. And uh, really, our our goal of Tech stands up is to um, really showcase the values that drive Silicon Valley and uh, the the engineering community in general, which is you know, the open exchange of ideas. Uh, It doesn't matter where you're from, who you worship, uh, you know, what color your skin is, you know, the best ideas will always rise to the top. And and about community participation, you know, we feel that one of the reasons we even got to a place where Trump is able to become elected is that uh, we really neglected, you know, the, 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 Core of democracy, which is you know participation in it. Um, So, how can we encourage our industry to become more active by connecting the different technologists to organizations that are being directly impacted? uh, You know, having hackathons, fundraising, even donating skills of time. Uh, Because what I think, uh, you know, what I what I urge your listeners to 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 think of is you know if if you want to go and donate. $50 $50 a month, $100 a month, even to the ACLU or some cause that you care about, uh, think about donating your skills and time, because if you built a quick little website for one of these nonprofits and organizations, uh, that could be the equivalent of a $15,000, know, $20,000 uh, know, uh, donation. So how can we start to make those uh, connections? And then I think our third goal is really to just figure out how we can work together with the organizations and groups of people that uh, it, to help bridge the divide between our industry and uh, you know being the tech industry, and then the people that our technology has disrupted. I, I think that. You know, one of the things we can't overlook as an industry is the fact that in the next four years, we're going to start seeing things like automation, driverless cars, the rise of artificial intelligence. All of those things are going to take away jobs. So what is it, what is our industry's moral obligation to help uh, the, you know, the groups of people that our technology is going to disrupt over the four years? Because The pitchforks may be pointed towards D.C. right now, but if we don't stand up as an industry uh, for what is right, those pitchforks are going to be pointed right back at us.
0: There is some anxiety around whether the rule of law is going to be upheld in the Trump administration. There are some signs that the separation of Powers the, the 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 three powers that are supposed to have checks and balances on one another. Um, that system of checks and balances is threatened. Uh, is is this this idea of measured protest and um, sort of playing within the rules? Is this? Do you think this is an effective enough strategy in the in a time where the the fundamentals of our democracy might be fraying?
1: Yeah, I think that the the output or the, the, the outpouring of support uh, in terms of, you know, I've, there hasn't been a weekend that's gone by that hasn't had some substantial uh, protests. Uh, you're also seeing things like Resist Tuesdays, uh, where you're seeing not just in you know, liberal parts of the country, but you're talking about Utah, um, Tennessee, uh, where you're having thousands of people showing up for, to their member of Congress. Uh, there's a great uh, guidebook called Indivisible uh, that it's indivisibleguide.com, which is a practical uh, guide to resisting the Trump administration, and it was built on the by some staffers that went through the Tea Party, and you know, looked at what they used and what they used effectively, and how we can apply those same principles uh, to put pressure on our member of Congress. I live in San Francisco. I have, you know, <laughs> uh, are pretty much all Democratic uh, within in the range of of our area. There's a few. Um, places that are closed that have Republican seats, um, but it's not just about putting pressure on uh, you know those Republicans to stand up to Trump, but it's also giving um, you know the okay to our Democratic senators and members of Congress to say we support you by um, sticking up. I think you're starting to see our Democratic uh, leadership really. Grow a spine and and stand up uh, to to the, the the policies that are hurting our community. So I think that you know to answer your question, yes, I think that this sustained um, protest has been effective. Uh, we just want to um, capture that momentum and be able to direct uh, technology resources to those different organizations so that it can be a long sustained. Four years opposition and not just fizzle off in the next you know few months.
0: There were people who, before the inauguration, were I think one way to describe this is Trump curious, and uh, I put myself in this camp because I am somebody who, I mean, like many people in Silicon Valley, I've never really been interested in politics, uh, and I looked at this guy and I was like, well, this guy's different. Some of the things he says, you might get an anti-war president. You might get somebody who's just going to focus on aggressive domestic growth. Maybe he's just going to listen to the smartest business leaders in our country. I, I read his book. I read Art of the Deal. I, and I was like, this guy, you know, this could be certain aspects that are appealing. Were there certain aspects of Trump that appealed to you before he was elected or before he was inaugurated? Yeah,
1: absolutely. I think that, um, you know, some overlap to where, so I was a Bernie Sanders supporter, um, during the election and, or during the primaries and, you know, his, you know, views on, uh, uh, build rebuilding our infrastructure. I think that, you know, that's great. We want to, if, if we do want to invest in our country, then let's, let's see that let's, let's, you know, build, uh, you know, have have a, a, a sustained infrastructure bill put forward. Uh, I think some of his views on uh, free trade, I agreed with some of them. Uh, uh, I wasn't like completely shutting off and doing 20% tariffs. But I, I do think that, you know, some of our, our, our free trade agreements could be reneg- renegotiated. Um, but it's, you know, there, there, I think, were some places that I could get behind, and lots of Democrats have said that if he wants to make that a priority, they will work with him. This isn't about, um, you know, just hating Trump because he's Trump. Uh, you know, um, it's about, you know, when he talks about, you know, the media as the opposition party, uh, when he talks about, well, when he, you know, over, I think I saw, you uh, there was a statistic that showed that I think over 60% of the things that Trump says since in the last three weeks have been false. While most politicians, I think Barack Obama was around 25, 27%. uh, it, uh you know, the, you know, the fact that he even lied about you know whether or not it rained at his inauguration, those are, those are warning signs. And then of course, this latest, um, you know, this latest attack on our, on our, judicial system is rather scary because you know if you read the Constitution and and you understand that you know that you you know these are not activist judges or, or you depending on how you feel about the judges you just that excuse me the judicial system is an equal branch of the government equal to the executive, and equal to the legislative. And for one branch of government to belittle and attack another one is a huge threat to our democracy, in my opinion.
0: Some of the Trump curious people might have taken the approach that the system is so ossified and broken that it needs to be burned down, and Trump is the kindling that will burn down the system and... in this light maybe him criticizing the judicial branch and eroding our norms around the separation of powers is perfectly fine because it'll lead to the burning down and the rebuilding Uh, when you talk to people who were Trump curious or perhaps ones that did vote for Trump do you think they have largely changed how they feel about him since the inauguration or are they comfortable enough with what he's doing to, um, to continue to support him?
1: Yeah, that, uh, so that's a really good question. Um, my, uh, the closest people to me that voted for Trump were both of my parents. Um, and we've had really good conversations. Uh, mainly, my mom was never uh, a, um, that big of a backer. For him, um, and uh, but my stepdad was a big Trump supporter, went to many rallies, and I had an interesting text conversation with him about you know what are some of the things policies that you can disagree with uh, that he has enacted or or says he will enact, uh, and it was interesting that he he would not he couldn't. Articulate a specific policy. There, there are plenty of policies that that I disagreed with Obama, and I think that you know from my conversation with him and and, and actually one of his friends is that they feel that these protests uh, are, are are an attack at conservatism, are, are an attack at the Republican Party, uh, which I I don't believe it. It to be that at all. I believe that it's a it's an attack on the things that Trump says he's going to do, like you know, create a Muslim registry, um, you know, build the build a wall, uh, you know, these things that are just fundamental to uh, fundamentally against what America stands for. So it it's hard for for him to. I think separate and understand that this is not an attack on his belief system. It's it's really just an attack on on those particular policies. Uh, they haven't really, you know. He, when I asked what he could do differently, he said, "Well, he could probably tweet less and uh, you know be more focused." And um, but having specific policies, it it um, sadly, you know, there wasn't anything you could say.
0: I think in order to express an aversion to trump you don't even need to go to the immigration policy you don't need to go to the talk of a muslim ban you don't need to go to the uh, even the uh, like the mental instability you just have to look at the fact that what he represents is essentially a uh, he refutes the idea that you have to be consistent and that you shouldn't just flagrantly lie and you shouldn't just have such reckless abandon um, for the truth and for a shared sense of the information that we're all operating off of, because the only thing that we have in our society that keeps us uh, <laughs> you know, from breaking into bedlam is some shared sense of what the truth is what reality is and when you have a ringleader that is eroding that sense that that sense of a some sense of shared understanding of like this is a this is what we have decided is a fact you know it's really hard to get to ground truth of what facts are and you you certainly see that in engineering and science like there are a lot of things that we are unsure about but there you know the things that we can come to something that resembles a consensus on we should we should try to 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 build higher level abstractions on top of those things, and I think Trump is a is a fundamental threat to that to the ability to build consensus around some ideas that that resemble that very closely resemble ground level truth, um, and I mean perhaps it's appealing to some people that um, oh this guy like questions the. You know, these uh, these fundaments that we have started to build uh, a very productive society on. Um, but, uh, you know, for me, it's it's a, it's it's scary, I think, for and I think for a lot of intellectuals who 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 uh, do try to build a, build conversations on that uh, that foundation of some basis of fact, uh, they are a, a little frightened.
1: I I guess to that point, I think that, you know, we have this, you know, this, this amazing tool, the internet, uh, you know, I was, uh, you know, thinking that the internet was going to bring us into utopia that, you know, things like, you know, 1930s book burnings and, and, and the fact that you can have access to all this information would allow us to never repeat, you know, history, um, where, you know, authoritarian, uh, you know, regimes would come in and destroy knowledge. Uh, I, I, I truly believe that. But now, you know, to your point, you know, we need – you know, we don't have a shared sense of what is based in reality because, uh, you know, right now – you have if you if you want to only subscribe to Breitbart, Fox News, and any of the other fake news sites, and that is all you see in your feed, in your uh, you know the news that you that you listen to, you're going to have the same distorted sense of reality that you know that Donald Trump is presenting to you. Um, so. How to, and I urge, you know, this community to start thinking about how can we kind of, you know, ensure without censorship, of course, that, you know, proper facts are getting out. Because to your point, if we don't have that shared basis, then the whole thing kind of just falls apart.
0: Now, a counter argument to this idea, like, especially like, you know, you mentioned Breitbart and Fox as fake news, I, I really don't like the fake news term because I think it's, you know, something I do like about Silicon Valley is the sort of contrarianism that gets celebrated and the, you know, this like, oh, no idea is too crazy. Um, so there is some extent to which, uh, you know, I can understand people believing in, You know, alternative facts. Uh, I can see the appeal to it, and and I think sometimes they, you know. So, like a few months ago, I I interviewed this guy Curtis Yarvin, who started a project called Erbit, and Erbit is this very strange, it's this ambitious computing platform, and the episode was it was almost entirely technical. It was about distributed systems, the history of computing, uh, but a few listeners criticized me and they actually started tweeting that people should boycott this show because I gave Curtis a platform to speak. And this is because Curtis has some writing that some people have construed as racist. And, um, you know, Urbit is a project that was partially funded by Peter Thiel. Uh, and this also reminds me of how, um, how Brendan Eich, the creator of JavaScript was, evicted from his role as CEO of Mozilla because people discovered that he had funded causes that were in opposition to gay rights. And the reason I bring these things up is um, there is, you know, I think there's a contingent of people uh, that don't like that there is this chilling effect against opinions that might be slightly politically incorrect or, you know, things that are in opposition to gay rights, things that are in opposition to uh, race equality. I think there is a a contingent of people who are are actually, you know, taking, will will take a, a civil intellectual approach to the discourse around, should we have gay rights? Should we have race equality? And if they maintain a civil discourse about this stuff, you know, I'm not, I'm not, as opposed to it as you know as if if it was just filled with vitriol and and frankly what what concerns me almost more is the chilling effect against those people where they can't actually express those ideas and i think uh, you know doing stuff like like calling fox news fake news i think this this is this is the type of thing that creates rifts um between people that that get their their information from different areas and like you know say what you will about fox news i think now we can look at fox news and be like okay jesus this feels like a place of civil discourse compared to uh how trump is is running his his office so i don't know what do you think of that idea
1: yeah so yeah that was so fox news given what you think about it i i will fight till you know my dying breath for them to be able to say what they want to say and for anyone to be able to say what they want to say I believe wholeheartedly in free speech and I believe that the best antidote to you know bad ideas is to present better ideas Um, I don't believe that you that anyone um, should be silenced on what they want to um, say Uh, because honestly the best way and, and and this goes for you know um, uh, you know on the internet the best way to uh, go against a troll or or someone who you know is spouting things that you don't like is to not give them any t- attention at all you know don't feed the trolls they feed off of that if you do not give them a platform then they will. You know, fade off. That is the worst thing you can do to them. Um, So, you know, I think that it's it's definitely um, something that I've heard. Even Uh, you know, people are saying, "Oh, we should just delete Donald Trump's you know Twitter account." You know that that is a very slippery. That is a dangerous slippery slope because just because he is saying something that you disagree with, then that gives them to write. The right to say that your your free speech should be silenced because it's something that that they disagree with. If we don't have the ability to say what we feel, um, then you're right. You know, civil discourse goes away and, and can become more polarizing.
0: Speaking of that polarization you alluded to this earlier this fact that the election revealed that you know as tech people we weren't really thinking about this vast gap in belief systems that exists between the whatever you want to call it, coastal elites or technocracy you know these these people that are improved by technology their lives are improved by technology versus the the rest of the united states how do you characterize this gap
1: so characterizing the gap between like what well, we as in the tech industry or in 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 san francisco versus maybe uh, a uh, like a tech industry say this is like the
0: the hillbilly elegy gap <laughs>
1: um yeah i mean i i think that um it's it's one of those so yes, you know a lot of the tech hubs are in um, some of the coastal elite cities. Um, you know, most of the you know Silicon Valley is is very liberal. Uh, at the same time, I think that you know there are ways that we can engage um, some of those uh, different communities um, in a much different way. Uh, so there are uh, people that are wanting to speak up for what is right in. in in every state in every area and there's engineers in all of those areas I think though that it might be a little bit harder for an engineer in say you know rural Tennessee to speak up um, than you know someone in in Palo Alto so hopefully you know you know our our industry is is worldwide Uh, we can communicate we can collaborate we can uh, work together uh, to to you know, regardless of your geographical location. So um, hopefully we can uh, start to, to form those relationships.
0: Do you have a sense for how the, it's so like, you know, one of the things I wish I had better better visibility into or observability into for, um, you know, if we're talking about tech buzzwords, observability is certainly one I feel like we don't have a, a good understanding of what percentage of the united like I feel like polls like people don't really have a whole lot of faith in polls I don't know if we should have a lot of faith in polls do you have a sense for how much of america is uh is pliant on the the trump issue have they already made up their minds that they're like they're um you know they're the people who supported Trump before before the election are they, um, you know, they standing behind him? And do do and you have do you have any any feeling for the numbers, the polls, the um, how people, how what percentage of the United States is like fed up with this guy? Yeah.
1: So you you see you know after the election, it it even put my question. I mean, I work at a uh, company that. You know, strives off of statistical significance and A/B testing, and, and 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 making sure that you know you have the proper sample size, and you know a lot of the same uh, concepts that go into polling, and how how off the polls were really kind of you know even made me. Think You know, second guess what these polls are. So, and even after the election, I've seen conflicting polls. But some of the ones that have come out that really disturb me are, uh, for instance, uh, fifty-one percent of Trump supporters believe that, you know, the the Trump administration should just not listen to the judicial branch, uh, that it should just continue enacting policies regardless of what they say, and that's. You know, complete overstep of the executive branch, and that half of his supporters agree that he should do that. Um, You know, those are the types of polls that really uh, uh, scare me because that shows blind trust in a leader. And when you start to have blind trust in a leader, it's it's a very slippery slope because then you start only believing that leader, and you only start believing, uh, you know, the news that comes from that leader, and then not, you know, you don't have these checks and balances, which is what makes America, well, for lack of a better term, which is what makes America great. So, um, you know, those are the types of polls that scare me. I think it's still to be determined on the greater sense of what America is feeling. And I don't Know if we'll truly have the answer to that until the 2018 election, uh, which is why you know Tech stands up is going to do everything it ta- you know in, in its power to to help give technological resources to uh, those swing states to uh, campaigns to uh, you know ensuring that you know we have a a a basis of facts that we can all have a a. a a conversation around instead of um, sensational news articles and and things like that 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 don't add to the to the um, conversation.
0: I saw a post in the tech stands up Facebook group that you disagree with Elon Musk's decision to stay in communication with the president. Elon argues that we should have more sane voices communicating with President Trump and not less sane voices. We shouldn't boycott him. What do you think of that perspective?
1: So there have been people—so I, for one, when I created this, am not saying you should break off communication I think communication is the only uh, tool that we have uh, in a democracy that can help us you know come to consensus uh, what upset me and was the fact that uh, you had someone like Elon Musk who has been you know someone who I looked up to uh, with within high regard uh, you know with his work on climate change his vision for uh, a you know, completely renewable energy, um, electrical grid. Uh, you know, these types of visions uh, are what we need in America. Uh, what upset me was when he, you know, said that he supported Rex Tillerson, who has ran a company that actively suppressed science and information on climate change. Um, you know, that that seems to go contradictory to what. Elon Musk has always, you know, uh, believed. So while we want to have sane leaders at that table, we want them to also be able to have their voice and not just be a body. Because if you're just there for show, uh, then I think it causes more harm, um, because people don't understand and, and, and they have a very surface level. They'll, they'll just see Trump, well, you know, with a photo op with Elon Musk and uh, they'll all of a sudden associate, you know, the two together and uh, assume that, oh, well, the tech industry must be in bed. You know, that, you know, that whole meeting with, you know, the 20 uh, uh, the, with the 20 tech leaders um, for those who are not in tech, that was really just a show of, you know, Here is, you know, the technology industry now getting in bed with someone who, uh, you know, half the voters, um, three million more than what he got, uh, you know, disagree with. So, um, yeah, I, I, I definitely think we need to have, you know, sane voices at the table, but they need to have their voice and not just be a body at the table.
0: Well, I think that's his perspective, though. It's he's not there for the photo op and, you know. You'd find it hard, I find it hard to believe that you know he's support he would support Rex Tillerson uh, out of a pl- out of any place other than pragmatic compromise. I mean, this is a guy that epitomizes what Elon Musk has poured his entire fortune into fighting. So in some sense, it's it's just a it's just a compromise that he's that he's trying to make. Um, you know, very pragmatically, he and, and he is arguably in a position where he can have some leverage with Trump because he, you know, here's a guy that's actually creating jobs. Here's a guy that might actually be in a position to create more jobs that jobs that actually make sense, not jobs that are uh, essentially like, you know, uh, made out of threats from Trump. Um, I mean, I, I think that there's like if, it, you know, if we have a situation where, the, the populace is against uh the, the, the or the populace is for Trump like if there if if enough of the populace is for Trump that we are uh we are going down this path of of you know very very scary United States where a large percentage you know even you know 40%, forty percent 40 or forty five percent of America had had enough faith in in Trump to to believe him or even 30 perhaps 30 percent of America. if that's um, you know 30 percent of America are are in love with Trump, then we might be in a place where the tech leaders should be making some pragmatic some very pragmatic negotiations with the president because you know we just got to keep this stuff together for the next four to eight years and make sure that the the world doesn't doesn't burn down. Um I don't know like what's the trade-off between between just protesting and and fighting relentlessly and making some pragmatic negotiations with an eye for uh you know running for office and um and you know it's it, it's just hard for me to figure out what's the right balance between fighting right now which looks appealing in the short term And the more pragmatic approach of okay, let's like, you know, maybe not, maybe not facilitate Muslim bans and Muslim lists and uh, and anti-science, but at least we'll we'll comply with with Trump's insanity to the degree that we need to make it over this hump in one piece.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, when I saw Elon Musk sign on to the uh, order, or I should say SpaceX and and Tesla sign on, uh, that was, you know, very powerful. It's if if Trump keeps Elon Musk on that advisory board after he signs that, by all means, I will have a different view of what that advisory council means. Because uh, to... And Donald Trump has has actively, um, you know, fired an attorney general, uh, the acting attorney general who disagreed with his, uh, you know, that said that, you know, she wasn't going to enact uh, that policy. Um, so you've seen people that have dissenting views be fired uh, from their positions, or or removed from board. So it's it's still to be seen on what he will do there. Um, but you know, to your point, it's it's not just and, and what tech stands up and what our event on March fourteenth is, is about is not just about standing up against Trump, but standing up for the for the ideals and the uh, you know the organizations that we feel as an industry. Are are important. There's going to be lots of things that come down the pipe in the next four years that our industry and our community is very passionate about. You know, last you know a few weeks ago it was immigration. Uh, we also have our FCC chairman who uh, is against net neutrality. Uh, we also have an education secretary. Um, you know, what does that do? You know, with with, with her credentials, what does that do for things like STEM education and making sure that, you know, Americans are prepared for the high-tech jobs uh, of the future? So, you know, if... if if those sort of policies and those sort of uh, organizations become underfunded, defunded, even targeted, then how can we, as our industry, and uh, you know, rally around the things that we actually care about and and, and take the ownership back? Uh, and. And really support it. If you support Planned Parenthood, if you support, you know, immigration reform, then how can you get involved with, you know, those different organizations that are trying to make that happen and and donate your skills and time and have hackathons? So it's not just about standing against Trump. It's about standing up for the policies that we hold dear.
0: So I heard, uh, you know, I listened to a lot of Ezra Klein podcast stuff. And one of the things I've seen him say is that he's worried that our political system was not built to withstand the level of partisanship that could potentially develop. And um, ironically, since this is coming from Ezra Klein, I think this kind of sounds like almost one argument, perhaps in favor of the burn it down or the let's reconstruct the, the political system. And especially if, Trump has the potential to just ignore the judicial branch. Maybe we really do need a new system. Um if there were just to close off with a with a broad question, if there were a way to rebuild the system, perhaps maybe a system of checks and balances where you have the government and then corporations, like maybe those are the two separations of power or I mean what what do you think would be a better government system.
1: Yeah. So, uh, as an engineer, I am, I am, one hundred percent in favor of the open source way. I believe that it is the future of, of of governance in, in a way uh, you know, having an open exchange of ideas where anyone can uh, you know, where information is open, free uh, and creating those environments that allows people to kind of learn and use that information towards new ideas. Uh, participation is going to be a huge key. I think, um, you know, we're moving into uh, an area uh, where, uh, many, many jobs are going to be uh, taken away, like like I said, through things like automation, AI, uh, driverless cars. Uh, but if you look in the open source community, uh, many projects, a very, very small percentage of people actually participate in those projects. However, those who participate more and, you know, they are the ones that are uh, given, you know, pull request merge rights, and and the ability to shape the direction of the project. Uh, whereas, you know, let's say it was 5% that are contributing, the other 95% are using those tools and using what was created to do other amazing things. So how do we, you know, reward participation uh, and leadership through participation as opposed to who you know, how much money you have, uh, you know what corporation is backing you, um, and then also you know rapid prototyping. We live in a society where you know we think of healthcare, for instance, this huge megalithic thing that needs to be over, uh, you know re you know, redone. Uh, but how can we get to, you know, through experimentation, uh, finding out what works, what doesn't, and being able to just rapidly prototype these self-governing uh, uh, policies. Uh, and then, you know, of course, you know, a meritocracy where, you know, if you have, if we all have access to that same information, uh, then, you know, and everyone's able to submit ideas, and uh, you know, communicate, build off each other's ideas. The best ones always rise to the top, and and you see that in many corporations. Like Google has a has an in, internal Dory where people can submit ideas. You've seen some of the best ideas come from hackathons at big corporations. So, um, how can we bring those fundamental principles um, of the open source way to? self-governance
0: brad taylor thanks for coming on software engineering daily
1: Yeah, oh, thank you very much thanks for having me